time for Coffee with the Chicken Ladies, a podcast for people who love chickens. Hey, everybody, and welcome. It's Chrissy and Holly from Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. We're here, and this is episode number 81 of our podcast, where we talk about everything chicken, family, fun, and more chickens. More chickens. We drink a ton of coffee. I'm talking a ton. But most importantly, we hug chickens every day. And we kiss them, too. Don't forget. We brew coffee from a little coffee house here in Bel Air, Maryland. Holly Ann, what kind of coffee are we brewing today? Oh, cold brew again. It's hot. Mm-hmm. Okay, so are you ready to sip some coffee and chat? I am. Right after this word from our sponsor. We have some exciting news to share from our sponsor, Grubbly Farms. This month, you can receive 25% off if you're a first-time buyer. I'm a longtime subscriber, and my flock love the healthy, nutritious treats, plus all products ship free. If you haven't heard, Grubbly's has a fantastic layer pellet and crumble feed. It's packed with plant and insect protein. It's perfect for those picky chickens and ducks. This offer does not apply to subscriptions and cannot be combined with any other discounts. It's a great time to try Grubbly Farms if you haven't yet. Use the code COFFEELADIES25. Try it today. Okay, so how has your week been? Okay. Some of the heat has come down. It's not quite as blistering hot as it was. Oh, yeah. My roses are blooming and really putting on a show, and I love my roses. I'm building quite a collection of, well, they call them heritage roses. Yeah, yeah. Heirloom roses. And there are some things in my garden that are really producing. I've got some sugar snap peas. Nice. And some turnip greens. Nice. And my lettuce is growing well. Good. So I, far, knock one wood, no rabbits in it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all sad because I cut my last peony blooms off yesterday, but it was going to storm, so they had to come mm-hmm, off. It's yeah. either that or you lose them with the rain hitting Yeah, them. you may as well cut them at that point. Yeah. Well, so, I cut them whenever I can. I, I know. love them in the house. I never leave them out there very long as soon as they bloom. But if you want to see them, go over on our Facebook page. Mm-hmm. I have a picture of our last blooms up. Just doing stuff around here. The babies are keeping me crazy busy. Well, we have two different sets of babies. Yeah, so. so we have what I call the littles, right. which are the in-betweens. Those are our pullets who, as of right now, I think are 10 weeks old. They're the tweens. They, well, they kind of are <laughs> tweens. So we have the tweens, and then we have the true babies that yes. are just over a week old. Well, when this drops, they'll be, they'll be yeah, a couple weeks, weeks old. old. So it's keeping me very busy because I'm trying to keep the littles going outside at least once a day for a few hours, Mm -hmm. but we have to be with them. Yeah. Um, We have a lot of stuff in different stages going on. We do. So I know you said this on our social media, but why don't you tell everyone the name of the chicks that we just got from Oh, yeah. We did say it on social media. Mm -hmm. So the girls and I named our Heritage Delaware Rita, Mm -hmm. and then we have Rosemary and Basil, which are our Andalusians. Very cute. My Delaware is Apple Blossom. Yeah. And my Andalusians, I went old style. They are Isabella and Catalina. And Catalina was my Spanish name. I always loved that. And I wasn't brave enough to take it as my Spanish name in middle school. You yeah, did. And yeah. I've always loved that name. And so, yeah, I thought that was very fitting that's, for my little... Yeah, that's what I remember. First, my little Donas. First year in... And we kept those names all through. And we went all the way up to honor Spanish yeah, in high school. Yeah, all four years we had Spanish and we yeah. picked those names. Uh-huh. And I remember just picking that one and I'm like, it's perfect. I'm going to mm-hmm. stick with it. So, yeah, it works out perfectly. The Andalusians are the most beautiful babies. They are gorgeous, and they are little spitfires. They really are. They're the funniest little chicks. 
Back in episode nine, when we interviewed Jeannie Keys, Jeannie talks about how incredibly intelligent the Andalusians are. Yeah. She was not kidding. And we did our breed spotlight back then mm-hmm. on them. And I feel like at some point we need to redo that because now that we have them, we can really appreciate. Oh, yeah. One, their beauty. I mean, yeah. they're even as babies, they are stunning chickens. They're really beautiful. But you can see the wheels turning in their little heads. I see them and then I see Rita, our heritage Delaware. And the Delawares are like these big, sweet things. And then you're like, these two chicken breeds would never really be together. And oh. then we have them together and they're coexisting. And it's hilarious to watch. It is. Because you have this big, fluffy yellow chick like, da 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 Well, when I opened the box, you know, when I picked them up from the post office and I opened the box, the first thing I saw were these great big, fluffy yellow heads. <laughs> and then the little blue heads peeping up there. Oh, yeah. And their heads were like larger and more square than normal like, <laughs> really yellow big. chicks. Yeah. Sophia and I came out that day and went on the way home. We were like, they are just like the chick from Hop, the movie, the chick that tries to take over Easter. I've never seen this movie, but I'll take your word for yeah, it. Yeah, they are. They look just like this okay. chick. They are hilarious. We love them already. But mm-hmm. I feel like the littles are in that middle stage. They're like the middle child almost. They're not ready to go out yet. Right. But they're not babies. Yeah. I really feel like I want to get them a lot more time outside, but I don't really have any good place to put them right now. So we just get them out every time we can in a pop-up. We have these pop-ups, which were a big hit on Instagram. Mm -hmm. You and I both have one. We purchased a long time ago. It's like a mesh chicken trailer almost. It's a pop-up. Well, it's essentially two of the smaller pop-ups in one long pop-up. They generally don't have a bottom. It's actually because they're so cheaply made. They're cheaply made. They have eight stakes. You got to make sure you put the stakes in Mm -hmm. because the wind, if not, is just going to kick them up. It was a big hit on Instagram, but it's perfect to keep them in, but not perfect to keep something else out. So they have to be supervised. Right. And then I have Gertie. She has to be out, too, with them. So it's busy. It's busy, yeah. It's busy here. I mean, that's a long story short. It's busy. It's good busy. I mean, the garden is really making me happy. And all the time with the chickens makes me happy. Like, May is an explosion of busy. And so June, settle in a little more and you can start to enjoy things. Well, this weekend, I am going to be going to get my new herbs to fill in for my raised bed. Uh My huge rosemary bush that Uh I have. So every year, I try to put ones that keep coming back. It is what it is. I have well, to do work somewhere. Yeah, some of the herbs just get killed off by our hard winters here. Yeah, some of them are supposed to make it and they don't. And they don't. No. But my thyme, it's huge. And my rosemary is huge. Thyme is one of my favorite all time herbs. Yeah. To cook with. I just off. love it. Okay. So if you're listening to our show and you're loving it, head over to Apple Podcast and leave us a written review. We love reading them. We get excited when a new one pops up. It makes our day. And while you're there, hit the subscribe button. It helps us grow so much. If you're looking for other ways to support the podcast, you can visit our Etsy shop. Check out the t-shirts we have there. You can become a patron of the show. Visit patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Check out our levels of membership. The other thing you can do to help support the podcast is visit our show notes, use our affiliate links, and buy products from our sponsors. Yay! Hey, Chris. Yeah. Do you like subscription boxes? Does it have anything to do with chickens? Of course. Then, yeah. Let me just take a minute to tell you about the chicken love box. If you love goodies for your chickens and you, you need to go to chickenlove.com. I love the mega box. Tons of useful products for my flock and a chicken tea for me. You can't go wrong with the chicken tea. They are so cute and so soft. In the June box, I absolutely love the embroidered rooster apron and the egg carton stickers. I love those chicken leg bands with charms and the egg cartons that go with those stickers. Boxes start at $39 a month. They ship immediately after your purchase and shipping is always free. It's such a great deal. 
Don't wait. Get off the nest and click already. Use the code CWTCL50 for 50% off your first box with at least a three-month subscription. That's chickenlove.com. That's chickenluv.com. Get your subscription today. Have you heard of Strong Animals Chicken Essentials? They make natural supplements for your flock. Strong Animals has used plant-based products and natural approaches to promote the health and vitality of backyard flocks. Their products contain organic essential oils, prebiotics, and other natural ingredients to support the immune system and digestive health. Give your chicks and chickens what they need to thrive with Strong Animals health products. Visit GetStrongAnimals.com today. La, 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 and now it's time for the Breed Spotlight. Yeah. Yeah. We're doing an old breed this week. So yes, we're doing an old breed, and this is one that you've been wanting to do for a long time. Yeah. One of the reasons I wanted to do this spotlight is because this breed was all but functionally extinct in the U.S. and very rare in their native country. So we're doing the red cap. Yes. Go ahead. Start us off. Red cap is an old breed of chicken developed in the Derbyshire region of England. Their most prominent feature is a huge rose comb. And that's where they get the name. It is cap. huge. Mm-hmm. I have to say, I'm not a super big fan of the huge rose cone. Mm-hmm. It kind of gives me the willies a little I bit. I like them. I think they're unique. They have an old heritage look to me. And we'll talk about this more in a little bit. But a comb like that's a commitment. You need to commit to it's huge. guarding that chicken's comb from any kind of cold. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's huge. I don't know. It's just something with the bumpies of it. Yeah, they can be really textured. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's true. So the red cap are classed as at risk by the Rare Breed Survival Trust in the UK. And here in the US, they are listed as critically endangered by the Livestock Conservancy. Yes, they are. At one point, like we said, they were practically extinct here in the US. Also, there is or was a Bantam version, though no one in my research seemed to know if the Bantam existed anymore. Okay. So the red caps are believed to have originated in the 1700s in Derby and in the Pennines region. The Pennines are a mountain range in England. Okay. They also used to be known as Manchesters, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Maybe think of Manchester Terriers, but, yeah. you know. Yeah, exactly. Now, this is where it gets cloudy. And I did a lot, a lot of research, and it's just supposition. I don't know that there's ever been a genetic profile done. Mm-hmm. A lot of scholars believed that the red cap derives from the Hamburg. Okay. Which is also a very old breed. Yes. And possibly the Old English pheasant fowl as I well. I can see that. You can definitely see that. Yeah. However, early poultry historians often have them classed within the Hamburg variation, as if they are an offshoot of the Hamburg. Okay. But a few even earlier sources thought they were the opposite, that the red caps came before the Hamburgs and are a much older breed. Okay. So there's a lot of controversy out there about the beginning. My feeling is that there's some credence to the latter, just based on the chicken's type and appearance. Right. The rose comb alone says an older age to me. Right. Like Dominique. Right. I feel like a direct offshoot of the Hamburg isn't possible. Hamburgs are small-bodied chickens. They're very little. With a straight comb. They're almost bantam size. Right. They're a small chicken. And the red cap is not as small. It's certainly not as small as the Old English pheasant fowl either. I feel like just speaking from a lifetime's knowledge of chicken keeping, I feel like this must be a much older distinct breed. It looks older. It does really remind me of the Old English pheasant fowl. Right. That comb. It's the comb. Like Some of the hens, sh- they remind me in coloring of the Wellsummer. Or the Barnevelder. Yeah, I see that in them. I don't know what it is. So the red cap used to be very popular with smallholders in the UK before mm-hmm. the First and Second World Wars. 
in the period between and after the wars, they were no longer being maintained as breeding flocks. Right. And my guess is that when the food shortages hit, they ate them. Probably. That's my guess. I mean, it makes sense. We've said that about so many chickens. Yeah. I mean, when people got to the point where there was no food, they had to turn to what they had to do. We're not going to fault anybody for that. No. What happens is the breeds die off because they're eating them and not rebreeding. Especially these regional breeds. I mean, the red cap was very popular, you know, in and around the area of Derby. So they tended to be very concentrated. And, you know, it's that same old thing. It makes perfect sense for the breed that works in your geography. But then if you end up with a monoculture, there's no way to keep it alive. Exactly. I mean, it's right there. It's nowhere else. Right. So it's really difficult. So while the red cap was fantastic for small flock owners, they never held any value in industrial agriculture. No. They were just geographically right there. Mm -hmm. They served a purpose for the people who lived in that area. Right. And unfortunately, when times got bad, that's yeah, prob- yeah, their most likely was not good. And after the war, we know what happened: hybrids and other breeds came into fashion. Yeah, the red caps quickly dropped out of sight. And I just want to talk about fashion for a minute. Okay. And the reason I'm saying that they fell out of fashion is because they were not modern. They were an old-fashioned looking breed, and even back then, there were popular breeds. Something I said before we started recording, I was like, their comb sometimes gives me the willies. Mm-hmm. And you were like, that's written in a lot of places. Well, not that directly gives them the willies, but the word. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's kind of terms, you so, know, like. Yeah, I saw the word grotesque. I wouldn't take it there. No, and I saw ugly in a couple places. No, I, I don't mean, think that. I don't think that. I don't think they're an ugly chicken by any stretch of the imagination. What it I does think they... to me is like when you see like a wasp nest, that gives me the willies. Mm-hmm. It's, this is the same thing. Interesting. I don't know why. I think it's, it's a handsome comb. It's not a good or bad thing. It's yeah. just, it's like one of those It's not attractive like, to you. Yeah. I think it's a handsome comb. But what I was talking about with chickens being in fashion, that's even the case now. Yeah. Everyone sees that everyone has this one and everyone wants that. Well, yeah, you're right. It wasn't fashionable. There were more breeds coming out that Mm -hmm. other people wanted. It's the same thing today. So in the U.S., they were quite popular on farms and homesteads in the early period, especially in the South. But there's a story there that says in the early days of the chicken shows, the APA, there were chickens that appeared in these shows called red dorkings. And for whatever reason, there are a bunch of historians who say that the red dorkings were probably red caps. This is like a very confusing history for this chicken. Well, it is. And I think it's unknown and it was written about in a careless way. It wasn't classified clearly. Exactly. It wasn't recorded. Hopefully things are written down at this point and recorded for the people in the future. I mean, there are different chickens. At various periods throughout time, there have been red cap clubs in the UK. And actually, the couple of red cap breeders here in the US, I think they've dropped the Derbyshire. Yeah. They just call it a red red cap. cap. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, the red cap were accepted into the American Poultry Association Standard of Perfection in 1888. Yeah. Pretty early on. They're in the English class, as is appropriate. They're good homestead birds, Mm -hmm. good layers, good foragers. But what were they quickly replaced by? Imports, hybrids, whatever chicken was popular the day. Rhode Island Reds made big inroads at that point. Totally. So we've read a couple of theories that say one of the reasons they fell out of favor is that comb. There was so much selective breeding for comb size for show birds until they were way too big to be practical and some people even found them unattractive. It's not that I find them unattractive. It's that it gives me the willies a little bit. 
I could see the bigger the cone being more fantastic and wanting to keep that going. I could see the other side of that, you know? It's, it is less than practical in the northern part of the U.S., that's for sure. For colder climates, you don't I mean, want a huge cone. I feel like they just didn't fit in the modern standards, and, and they literally went out of fashion. Because they were only in one place in the world, and it well, was easy to do. Well, not just that, because they were here in the U.S., but they just weren't the popular breed. Like, look on Instagram and see how many people have rainbow egg layers. Yeah. That's what's in fashion. Exactly. So, we talk about this too, availability. There's that. Although at this time with the APA, they're now they, available. They were available. Yeah. yeah. But before this, before the push to get them from the next to extinct level, they weren't as readily available. And it makes something that's already almost extinct there because people can't get their hands on them. Well, if they're not popular as a showbird anymore and people yeah. aren't using them as a homestead breed anymore. Hopefully this is changing. Yeah. Because well, we don't want to see this happen to any chicken. Right. Now, I went into this assuming that like the Hamburg and the Old English pheasant felt that they were light-bodied birds, and they are not. No, hens are about six pounds, and yeah. the roos are about seven. That's like mid-level to me. That's it's, a, sta- that's a standard, decent standardized chicken. Yeah. yeah, They're not on the super big side like some of the other big breeds, and they're not small, that's for sure. Right. A six-pound hen's a good chunk. Yeah. I like a six-pound hen. <laughs> that's a good <laughs> weight to carry around. That is. They have that huge rose comb. They have red earlobes. Yes, but they lay white eggs. Exactly. That's a little more unusual. They have blue legs mm-hmm. and red and brown feathers spangled with black crest. I see Gertie a little bit in them. That partridge kind of coloring in them, I guess. Yeah. But they're definitely an unusual looking chicken. It is. And again, back to the poultry historian's writing, not all of them were fans of this. They call it an irregular pattern. Yeah. And it kind of is. It is. It's not as clear as like the lacing on the Barneveldor. Yeah. Here's a little hen here that I just brought up. Uh-huh. You know, like you can see the partridge a little bit in her. She's a lighter colored yeah. than a lot of the other hens. There's definitely variation in there. Yeah, because you're talking about Well Summer. And yes, yeah, she does have the Well Summer coloring. Yeah. But in general, the red caps were darker. Red. They were red because of the red comb. The red cap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that irregular pattern, I think that gives them good camouflage. Overall, I think it's pretty and unusual. Yeah, um, me too. And the good camouflage helps for free-ranging, like if it's a homestead bird. Exactly. You know? So, hens lay on an average of 200 white eggs per year, which puts me in the pretty good category. That is pretty good, yeah. Yeah. They do have the rose comb. It's much smaller than the boys. Mm-hmm. So, that's good if you're in a climate like ours. I would be afraid in this climate with a huge comb like that with frostbite. Uh, yeah. I have Lucy the Leghorn and we have leg bars. It still is better in a cold climate Mm -hmm. than the males, but they do have some good points. They rarely go broody. They are good foragers. And you want to talk about Lewis Wright. Lewis Wright actually wrote a lot more about the red cap than I expected. So he noted that the hens often start laying very late at eight months old or so. It's not really that late to me because that is heritage Heritage breeds. breeds, right. Six to nine months mm-hmm. is where a heritage breed is going to start laying. I don't know when the Hamburgs start laying. Maybe he was comparing them. Maybe. The Fayumis can lay very early. Yeah. And given their similarities to the Hamburg, I don't know the answer to that. I guess because all we have is heritage breed, that to me doesn't seem we're like used to, exactly. we're used to we're it. We're used to it, yeah. Lewis Wright also said that the chicks should be hatched during temperate times of the year. Yeah. He said they were very healthy chicks, Yeah, but they do better when it's not as cold. Exactly. So that makes sense. 
This is a bird that definitely needs some support in cold weather. Yeah, it may be better in an area that doesn't get like New England or us in the Mid-Atlantic where we go really cold. Well, that's why they were so popular in the South. Yeah. I mean, obviously. Because Uh, it's warmer. That comb is like a bullseye for frostbite. It's huge. It has all the crags and points on it. Now, if you really you're in a colder climate and you do want this bird, you're going to need to do some frostbite prevention, Vaseline on the comb. I think you need to do more than the Vaseline. Well, if you need the, the Well, if it's going to be very cold, because just think about all those points, oh. all, all the blood vessels up Heck there. yeah. I mean, cozy coop heater, definitely, for sure. Absolutely. But, I mean, you're definitely still even going to need to be putting some stuff on that comb every day. And check it. Because, because when they come out, they're not going to have a cozy coop heater, and it's going to be cold. Right. So you're going to need something to protect directly on the comb. Right. Because if those blood vessels freeze, then you're in the necrotic tissue, the possibility of infection, yeah, and that's they, not good. They can't stay in the coop 24-7, so they're going to be out in the elements at some right. point. Putting some stuff on that comb to keep it nice mm-hmm. and moist is always a good thing. They're really interesting birds with a cloudy history. It's not precise. It's not to say this bird came from this, this, this. It's right. all over the place. Kind of. And that, it was almost like no one could figure them out, so they took a lot of guesses. Exactly. So let's say where we can get them right now if somebody listens to this and says, I have to have this bird. Well, you can check in with the Livestock Conservancy's breeder directory. I know there's at least one breeder listed there for them. And our next guest works at a place where you're going to be able to get them. Murray McMurray Hatchery does have red caps. Yes, and she does a lot of good work with these Mm -hmm. birds there. So that's going to be a mainstay if you want to go to a hatchery. McMurray Hatchery is the place that you're going to want to go to get these birds. They've done extensive work for the conservation of this Mm -hmm. breed. There you go. Go have a chat with Ginger. Are you looking for a vintage small farm feel for your egg packaging this year? Or are you looking to develop a unique brand image with custom packaging? The Egg Carton Store offers a wide variety of recyclable cartons, customizable stamps, poultry care products, and a robust customizing tool to design your own labels. Plus, they offer fast, free shipping on all cartons and labels. Visit eggcartonstore.com for all of your egg carton, label, stamp, and poultry care needs this spring. Roosties proudly sponsors Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you're raising chicks or keeping chickens, take a look at Roosties' store on Amazon.com. We've personally tested their products and we're huge fans. They have their famous nesting pads, those fantastic chick water and feeder kits, do-it-yourself port feeder kits, water or nipple, and water or cup kits. And you don't even need to drive to the stores. They're all available for prime delivery on Amazon.com. Visit Amazon.com and check out the Roosties range or follow the link in our show notes. We have a special guest here with us. We just went over the red caps and all of the history Mm -hmm. and everything that has to do with these birds. So we figured we'd bring in somebody that knows a lot about red caps and chickens So we have Ginger from McMurray Hatchery here with us. Hey, Ginger, how are you doing today? I am fabulous. Thanks for having me here today. Oh, thank you for coming on. Thank you. We've been really excited to have this chat. We have talked a lot, but it's nice (laughs) to meet. We say face-to-face, but via Zoom. Great to meet you both. We've had a lot of conversations over the phone. It's nice to finally see people. (laughs) (laughs) That's usually how it goes. Extrovert, introvert. Super extrovert. Super extrovert. <laughs> yes. She's used to it, though. It's 40 years of sitting next to me. So, hey. That's why you do the social media. <laughs> and I'm grateful. Ginger, will you please tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself and your background with chickens or any other animals? 
So most everybody knows me as the marketing person for McMurray Hatchery. I've been there somewhere between eight and 10 years. I joined officially full-time about a year and a half ago. I started as a freelancer. Actually, the owner came to a friend of mine and me and said, I have this catalog. I need some help with it. And as a graphic designer, I was like, okay, cool. And I knew nothing about chickens. Okay. Nothing. I thought I was going to walk into the hatchery and have to step over chickens. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Here's a city girl trying to figure out how I'm going to do this. So I've done multiple catalogs. I've reworked it over the years. And at a certain point, a couple of years ago, I just decided I didn't want to freelance anymore. It was so much fun. I loved my job. I loved everything I did about it. And I was like, I'm all in. So I'm 100% chickens now. Let me commend you on that catalog Mm -hmm. because girl, there have been so many times that I've been sitting in my chair in my family room, just staring at that catalog, looking at all the beautiful pictures. You know, you can look at things on the computer on your phone, but there's something about a catalog or magazine Mm -hmm. that you can hold in your hand and thumb through. I think I've looked at this year's catalog like 50 times just sitting there when it's sitting there next to me and you've done a fantastic job and I love the photographs. The catalog, Tom will say it's a labor of love of mine. It is. I call it the chickening. (laughs) It's about two to three months of my life where my husband is like what is happening in our house because there's pictures everywhere. I'm a hot, unshowered mess and I'm deep in this catalog, but it's 108 pages of literally writing and picking every single photo every year. I don't want to repeat photos. I like to do new photos. A couple of years ago, it was still illustrations from like the early 1900s. They had contracted with an artist decades ago and all those illustrations, similar to like what the APA uses, Mm -hmm. that's how they showed the breeds. But as you get more modern day, people want to see the breeds. And a real chicken has variations from those illustrations. Yeah. That's how I ended up on Instagram, because if you can make a chicken look beautiful, that's what I'm going to want. They'd had photo contests for years and had used, you know, a picture here and there. But then I turned that into revamping the whole catalog and the Mm -hmm. website. There are no stock photos in there. I think I had one on a pheasant still, but as far as the chickens go, yeah, I was like, they have to be our stock and they need to be real and true to what I see in our barns. And I want them to be beautiful. Every breed is so unique and beautiful and you want to see the lacing and Mm -hmm. I can't personally raise 110, 120 breeds of chickens and take their photos. So I needed an army and Instagram came in and there's some amazing photographers that help us out now. That's fantastic. We were talking this morning about Instagram. The amazing thing about the catalog is that it is free to anyone. So you can go to McMurray Hatchery's website and sign up and get your free catalog and enjoy all the beautiful photos that we still like looking at, even though we have all the chicks we need for the year. Yeah, (laughs) we're still dreaming of more. (laughs) 
we were talking about we don't like to use stock pictures ever. Yeah. On our Instagram this morning, we had this conversation because we do a breed spotlight. Sometimes we don't have those chickens. So we were like, how do we work this out? And that's why we ask our listeners, if you have this chicken, send us the pictures that somebody's legit chicken versus a stock Mm -hmm. picture, which is also a legitimate chicken, but that anybody can find on the internet. So I love it. I love the catalog. Your hard work and heart into it shows through. It's amazing. The other thing I love about him is that I learned about all these people's stories. So I had a little kid and he sent me a postcard and he says, I just moved from New York to Connecticut. And could you please send me chickens? Well, obviously you need your mom's permission, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) So I'm like, oh, my little friend, here we go. So I sent him a catalog. But I put a post-it note on every single page and it was, this is my chicken chickpea. This is Murray. This is Inigo Montoya. I just started naming and I was like, this chicken lives in Colorado. This chicken lives in Florida. And so we got this whole catalog with a t-shirt and a little gift certificate to say, okay, you have to ask your mom, but here you go. That's adorable. That's so sweet. So, so now I there's know. a chicken named Ginger in Connecticut, sadly. Oh, they named their chicken Ginger. That's so cute. I'd love that. Yes. That's fantastic. <laughs> I love it. So is that chicken really named Inigo Montoya? Because I did recently come across the rooster with that name. It's my favorite name for a chicken ever. <laughs> yeah. So those were my chickens. I decided one year I was going to hatch in the little Brincy 7, 8 yep. incubator yeah. with my daughter. It's like, I'm going to teach her. This is going to be the thing. We're going to raise chickens. So we went to the hatchery and she picked out her little eggs of what breeds she wanted. And then we hatched 100% roosters. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. That unfolded all on our Instagram. It was lovely. And we had Murray and we had Gordo. Um, (laughs) The turkin was called E.T. Because he looked like E.T. And the Spanish was Inigo Montoya. That's perfect. <laughs> that sounds like a hobby and that's why I love it because I had a Jersey Giant that was Ricardo Montalban, but I told Chrissy, if any of our Andalusians end up being a rooster, I want him and he will be Antonio Banderas. There you go. See? Right? Whenever we talk uh, about Ricardo, be... Holly Ann always has to say, Ricardo Montalban. Not the actor. I'm like, Holly, unfortunately, the actor has been dead since 2009. We don't have to worry about the comparison. Inigo Montoya, though, I think that is the best name ever for a real. I love that. That sounds like one you would pick. One million percent. Or one of us. Yes. Okay. So tell us about your animals. I raised multiple rounds of chickens to my husband's dismay. (laughs) (laughs) As I was telling you earlier, I live in the city. Since I started as a freelancer and we're here until my daughter graduates, you know, so now I have this, I dream of my countryside with chickens and it's going to be beautiful and it's going to be like Martha Stewart level. I'm sure, not sure he's on board with that, but I've got two (laughs) years until we get there. I have an attack parrot. What kind of parrot? I have an Amazon. She started nice until, you know, puberty. And then now she's in love with my daughter and she hates everybody else. Mm -hmm. I have an African gray who's mine who tries to go after everybody else. Yeah. They, they bond with one person, but you know, birds, birds are very similar. You know, when you start having different types of birds that also helped me with like chicks, how to triage weak chicks, things like Mm -hmm. that. I used to have a Quaker parrot, (laughs) low blood sugar when it gets stressed. 
Calm you know, down. so then I would learn a lot about how from my avian vet, how that actually relates to other species of birds too. So mm. it's all been very interesting. I think I've been prepped for chickens forever. <laughs> Once you're with them, you don't ever want to be without them. There's all these fun facts about, you know, like a chicken can remember a hundred different faces. Yeah. And I think the ultimate part of that fact is other chickens. But we apply that to people and they do remember us. They do. I would raise these chickens and they would go up to my boss's house and live in his coop as soon as they got too big for my postage stamp HOA world. And they would know when I would come. Yeah. You know, they'd see you and Inigo Montoya, man. Here he comes, (laughs) Murray. I love Murray. So when you have a rooster, you need to name him Murray McMurray. I might do that. That's what happens. That's a name, I think. It's such a great name. Yeah, I had married the Speckled Sussex. Oh, they're gorgeous too. He was stunning. Yeah. There was one time Tom could tell you the story better probably than I could, but he did run away and the neighbors called another neighborhood down when he lived in town and he's not supposed to have chickens. And they're like, "Uh, I think this is your chicken. But luckily, Murray had been trained, you know, to come and be very well handled. So he could, you know, shimmy under a bush and grab Murray before the local policeman came along and said, You're not supposed to have chickens. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Murray was on the loose. Murray got (laughs) saved. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I gave you a runaway chicken. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. It's awesome. So tell us all exactly what you do there. Well, we wear a lot of hats since there's only a couple dozen of us. A lot of people think that we're huge. I think the previous marketing person called it the world's largest rare breed hatchery. Yeah. But it's because we have the largest number of breeds, not the largest number of people. (laughs) So I started as the catalog. Then I started moving into everything else. There's all the advertising part of it. So Mm -hmm. you have your print and your online ads and everything. But I do a lot of website and product. We have an IT person, but I'll do, say, the content and the photos. I mean, it's the blog. We started doing a lot more fun things with the website. If you've not been on it before, some of the newer things are like you can go to the chicks page and there's a filter. Yes. And you can say, I live in a hot climate or I need a family friendly bird or I need layers of these colors. I need good layers. If someone wants to sell eggs, they're going to want a heavier layer. But we do have those rare birds and a lot of people will come for those. The unique thing for us is that you can get one of anything. Where a lot of other places, it's like a 15 per breed per sex minimum Our core has always been people like you, where I just want six little birds and I want each one to be different. Yeah. You can get one type of bird. Right. This does not happen very often. Even the smaller hatcheries will tell you three of each. Yes. Of that one kind. So if you want multiples. Right. If you have your three breeds and you need nine. So this is a game changer out there for the chicken lady. Because if you want three birds and three different breeds, Mm -hmm. you can do this. And that is kind of unheard of. It's fun. I get to go pack orders sometimes. It took the hatch manager over eight years to let me go pack orders. <laughs> oh, no. You're like, I keep coming in. Can I do it now? Can I do it now? <laughs> Can I do it now? Can I do it now? Every box, it says who filled your order on it. Mm-hmm. And I'm always like, I want to be 
be that person. And <laughs> I know I'm not fast because I'm literally back there going, this is the perfect one. <laughs> hey, we all know what I would be doing. Putting them in a box for yourself. No, each time I'd pick one, I'd be like, here's a kiss. Here's a hug. Before you go in the box, it would be bad. It would be so bad. I know. Some people are much more fast at it than I am. You know, they're on a mission. There's a guy that he can fill like a couple hundred orders in a day. And I'm like, if I'm sweating and tired and a hot mess, then I might get to 50. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, that's pretty good. That's a lot. Pack with love. That's the new stamp that you guys need. I know. But it's so much fun. Like, I love the free rare chick thing. Because if I see it's like, I've got to put in my electrolytes, I got to put in this, I got to give them their little food. And then I'm like, oh, I get to pick out a free chick. This is huge. And I think I give it probably five minutes more thought than anybody else filling orders (laughs) because I'm like, what breed would be very good with these little chicks? That makes sense to me. You know, you're trying to find something compatible. Yeah. Or you can just go like the chicken ladies did and get two Andalusians and the heritage still over. (laughs) It's a little. There there was one day where it was Bielefelder Day, though, because it's one of my favorites. And it was every time I'd pick them up, I'd go, Bielefelder's for everybody. (laughs) (laughs) They are great chickens. They They are. are. Right. And if you're going to get a rooster, they are oh, the best. They're, they're stunning. So gorgeous. Right. I get so many messages from listeners who say, you ladies make me want chicks all the time now because the breeds all have some good stuff that's going right. with them. I mean, yes, that's all you talk about. They all have something good. Back to the website, I wanted to note that you have lots of stuff to explore on this website. Mm -hmm. You have some awesome apparel, you have home decor, you have books. It's amazing. There is Tom modeling t-shirts. Yes, we saw that. (laughs) (laughs) I might have taken that photo. There's a lot of things I've made him do over the years. That's hilarious. We were looking. Wait, I mean, we were like, is that Tom wearing the t-shirt? <laughs> Wait, the first thing we were like, oh, I want that t-shirt. And then, oh, I want that t-shirt. Then we were like, Wait, that looks like Tom. I made him go stand out in the field across from us and model and pose. It's like 95 degrees. And I'm like, look all buff. Here you go. <laughs> He's such but a yeah, good you have sport. so many good things. And we yeah, love. Yeah, a good sport. We love those t-shirts. Yeah, the t-shirts They're are great. cool t-shirts. Mm-hmm. If you have the catalog in hand and then your laptop, that could be like an hour's of fun an right hour. there. More than that even. Yeah. Of fun. Just looking at everything. Posters, wickered egg baskets, signs, everything you can think of for the chicken lady. It's there. Mm-hmm. We have some fun stuff. We now started carrying egg stamps. As if your eggs weren't pretty enough, you can decorate them now. And we have chicken tutus. You should have told me about this before. I think I need some of these. Are they full size or are are there any for chicks? Use cupcake papers. I've done that. Yeah. So are your tutus for the big girls? They are for the big girls. Someone asked me this weekend, they're like, do they serve a function? Do they protect the chick? And I'm like, no, seriously, they're a dress. My first question is, do you have plus size for my brother? (laughs) (laughs) I think they're expandable. There's always body positivity in chickens. <laughs> the chicken ladies are fully inclusive over here. <laughs> Gertie has a diaper and she wears it, but it has a tutu attached because if you got to wear a diaper, you've got to have a tutu on it. Yeah. So Murray McMurray might not be the physically largest rare breed hatchery in the world, but you're probably the largest rare breed hatchery in the U.S. Can you tell us a little bit about the rare breed focus? 
So imagine a guy that's a banker that loves chickens because we've all had these jobs and we're like, I love chickens and I want this to be my thing. Chicken math is a thing and it started an entire company for him. So he wasn't the crazy chicken lady, but he was a guy that just had a passion for breeds. Yeah. And it's very cool. I've been going through the vault in the office, which is all the old pictures. And there's some film reels in there that I'm like, this is fascinating. And there's photos of him and there's stories of him. So there's one day where he met his dad who owned the bank. I can sell so many chickens and I'm going to bet you a hat. And sure enough, he came to collect his hat from his dad. So he started in Iowa. And in Iowa, the fair is a big deal. There's a book called The Thousand Things to Do Before You Die. Mm -hmm. And the Iowa State Fair is in that. It's massive. And he started showing chickens. So when we start talking to people like poultry show experts and enthusiasts and breed standard people, that was our core. That's where we started 105 years ago. And he loved this black Menorca. And I found a photo recently and it's all of his old ribbons. Oh, nice. And it is so cool. And I'm like, there we go. That's the ribbon. This is what started everything. When I go to Tom each year and say, can we add three more breeds? I've got the same chicken math as Murray did. Yes. Mm -hmm. Where I just add them in pens. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> right. This is my backyard. <laughs> but when you think about it, over a hundred years ago, a Menorca that was very rare breed of chicken that right. wasn't known for Iowa. Right. Uh, you think Iowa, you don't think Menorca. No, you don't. No. So he had a taste for the rare breed. Look where his taste a hundred years later is helping in conservation of rare breeds. Oh, yeah. And helping these chickens that would be extinct if it weren't for a hatchery like you guys who are helping these rare breeds and embracing heritage breeds. And heritage breeds get a bad rap sometimes. Oh, it's a heritage breed. It's not not, a fancy hybrid. They're not always the most exciting. But But they're exciting to us. Yes, they are. We love them. The heritage breeds are very, very interesting. Because when I started, I started doing the catalog. I started reading about every single breed. Mm. And I do the updates on the website. So there's all these search filters and all the icons I put in the catalog and everything. That's that's the core of what that breed stands for. You start looking at where did it come from? Mm -hmm. And I know you do a lot of research. You know, I listen to you on my Thursday night podcast nights. We love it. Where I'm like, okay, I'm going to learn a little bit more about what I'm going to put in my catalog next week. (laughs) But some of these breeds didn't even come into the U.S., until mid 1900s. And so for him to start at 1917, there's photos of him with a Yokohama from Japan. And he's standing by a cart. It's literally like a buggy cart. I saw that you put that the other day, didn't you? I saw that. And he's handwritten on it. These are Yokohamas from Japan. And I'm like, good grief. I can't even fathom how hard it was to get those into the country at that time. Mm hmm. Because importing today is very difficult. Yeah. That's a lot of paperwork. I'm sure it's less paperwork then, but the logistics of traveling and getting it there and getting all these breeds here is fabulous. So yeah, I think the history of this company is fabulous. Has anyone ever written a book on the hatchery? Not that I know of. Going through this fall, I think we should. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much in there. That I had a box that I couldn't even lift. And it was all these old photos. 
So back in the day, it started, we call them flock owners. And there is a stack of photos, probably about two inches thick. And it's all the original flock owners. Oh, wow. That's and So what you would do was, I was asking Tom and Bud about it. So today we have six farms. And because of all the biosecurity and everything, Mm -hmm. that's how you kind of protect multiple flocks from like, if something happens like avian influenza, which happened to us, we don't lose everything, right? but it also keeps things biosecure. It keeps everything basically in a really good condition. So you have a person where we do all of the flock work on all those birds, but this farmer, which is a family person who has a farm and kids and everybody will do the eggs and the water and different things. And the eggs come into the hatchery each week. And then we hatch those. So my original, am I going to walk over chickens when I walk into a hatchery? It's a building with incubators, Mm -hmm. right? which I didn't know. It was like, this was new to me. So anyway, so we have these flock owners from the 1900s. And there's a woman with the old fur stoles and her beautiful hair. And she's holding her chicken. And it says handwritten on the back who this person was. And she raised one breed. Wow, that's amazing. And so as he would add breeds, he would raise multiples in his backyard of this gigantic house in town. But then he'd also have these other people that would raise these breeds and they would bring in the eggs and he would hatch those and sell those. Wow. So that's how you start a hatchery, evidently. Yeah, exactly. He had a lot of forward thinking back then. Mm -hmm. I love the fact that he had the taste for the rare breeds versus just farm breeds at that point. Right. That's a legacy that we are all very cognizant of. When we went through everything we went through this year with avian influenza and it happened to be our rare breeds, that's emotional for us. Yeah. Oh, yeah. These are birds that we have kept within this business for a century. We own that legacy, each one of us. Mm -hmm. And so it's very important to us that we carry that whole quality and everything that he put into it because we know the family too. Yeah. You know, his grandson lives in Michigan now and he was the last one. He was the last Murray McMurray and he sold to Bud, Tom's father-in-law, but he was at our hatchery five years ago. We had a big celebration and the whole family came. Oh, wow. It was like a family reunion of all the McMurrays. And so we know them and Mm -hmm. we have to honor that legacy. Exactly. And we have to keep it going. So it's a big deal for us. It is a very rich legacy. Chickens are sort of the underpinning of America in a lot of ways. I think people don't realize how much they are. So that's why I was asking if anyone has written a book, because we fully appreciate the history and what goes into maintaining this. And thank you for doing it, because I think we would be a lot poorer without all of that work. Oh, yeah. There's only so many that are American breeds. Mm -hmm. To have all of those other external foreign breeds that we've cared for for so long, There's so many interesting things in there, as you know, because you do a lot of that background work on all of those breeds. Jeanette Berenger is going to be on the show probably in about a month talking about the 2022 poultry census. And one of the things we talk about here is about how availability impacts the chicken's position on the poultry conservation list. Number one. And so a breed that I've been really interested in that you can't get your hands on is the Sicilian buttercup. And they moved into the critically endangered category. And you carry Sicilian buttercups. And that's huge. 
Yeah, there are several. We had some that graduated from the critical down to the threatened. We've worked with Jeanette over the years on the crevicores. That's one of her passion mm-hmm. projects. Yeah. And those did move down, but there are some that have moved up. It's very difficult when someone keeps a breed and they're a smaller breeder, you have smaller numbers. They will have, say, a trio or maybe eight to 10 of a breed. Mm-hmm. And in order to start keeping those numbers up so that that breed can basically keep going forward, you're going to need more numbers. And while we get dinged online sometimes for quantity over quality, I think what they miss is that we do do quality. There has to be both, but you can do quality so much that you forget the quantity. You have to have enough for something to not be endangered. The genetics, you can't recreate those. So I have nankins. I have nine of them. I've just gotten into breeding them. And the nankins were one of the breeds that came out of critically endangered and threatened. And my husband and I decided very early on that the breed standard is extremely important, but we were not going to call birds if they had a minor flaw because this is a critically endangered bird. And so we picked out our perfect breeding male and he has his five girls, but those other cockerels, we kept them. They're living the bachelor life. They're living the bachelor life, but you know... (laughs) Two of them, they're not as perfect as George, but they would be fantastic cockerels down the line. I feel like you can call to a point where you have perfection, but what does that leave you if there are so few of them? So there's a couple different things. You'll find us on our soapbox occasionally when it comes to the standard of perfection. It's important, but it's also called perfection. Right. My thing where I get into a push and pull with some people is because I want the swoop and the back and the shape and the body. I do want that, but I don't want it at the expense of function. Right. Yeah. I want that bird to produce Mm -hmm. and I want them to live basically up to what that breed was developed for. Mm Mm-hmm. There's some that are like, but if it doesn't have exactly the 45 degree tail, I'm like, I'm working for that. But when you're breeding a flock of chickens, you have to work on little bits over time. Yeah. We have breeds that it's 105 years of working on them or 50, 75 years, depending on when they started coming into the country. I've got breeds that we've added a couple of years ago where I'm like, I take the pictures and I see them and I know, yeah, that one needs a little work here and here and here, Mm -hmm. but I want the egg quality to be there. I want the egg color to be there. And if you start just focusing on this exact tail, you're going to lose all those other things. We talked to a lot of the APA people and there's the body structure underneath. There's the stance of the legs. There's all these different things. Mm -hmm. And There's only so much you can do. It's what I tell my kids. You got to pick your path today Yeah. and let's work on this. And then let's add more things in later. It's over Mm -hmm. time versus a hundred percent very quickly. And it is perfection. And perfection really doesn't exist. Let's be honest. It doesn't exist. So we'll go for it. The highest quality. I tell people, if you're going to show birds or if you want something that's a specific quality, then give us a call. In our lines, we know which ones. I know this one is going to do much better if this is what your goal is. If you want a family bird, this is what your goal is. 
If you want a production bird, you know, if you're trying to make money off of your eggs or whatever, then you're going to go over here. But I'm not going to tell you everything is show quality, but I'm also going to tell you some of them are. Right. That's what I like about your hatchery is that you are this invested in the person (laughs) who is calling you and you're talking to them and you're helping them decide. This is amazing. And, you know, there are people out there, there are some listeners that could call there and talk to you, you know, and you're going to put that care in and Mm -hmm. really show how much you love these birds. I want to move into the red cap because this breed of chicken is really, really important to you. So tell us a little bit about how you got involved with the red caps. It's kind of twofold. I started with the catalog and there was a day when last year I had to take them out. The red caps are all but effectively extinct in the U.S. And I'm an animal person and I watched the last two at the barn and they wouldn't breed, they wouldn't lay, they wouldn't hatch, you know, they wouldn't do their things. And it was just to the point where it was hard even personally. I don't want to say that when I'm at this company that we've lost something. Yeah. I'm also married to an Englishman who is from an hour south of Derbyshire. Oh, wow. It's not Derbyshire. It's Derbyshire. Derbyshire. He will tell us any day. And I've walked in these craggy mountains. The English walk and they will walk and walk and walk. And there's all (laughs) these public footpaths and these walks and hikes. And what you do is you go for a walk and you walk up these mountains. They're not like our mountains, but for them they are. And It's these mossy paths and it's craggy rocks and it's very iconic English. And there's sheep on the side Mm -hmm. as people are walking up through these footpaths. And so I don't want to be advertising, you know, you get to your retirement and what have you done? Yeah. Oh, well, she sold some stuff. I want to say I've done some things and I was like, this is it. This is what I want to do. I want to start working on this. So I started pushing and said, I need to find these birds. And I found one of our customers in the U.S. that still had a breeding flock of them. Texas. Texas. Everything happens in Texas. Right. (laughs) Everything's bigger in Texas. It's all bigger in Texas. So I called them and I was like, okay, I know you're going to sell your hatching eggs. I know you do this. I don't want to take away from anybody else, but if you have any unsold egg, I want it. And so every week last year, I get this PayPal thing and sometimes it'd be three eggs and sometimes it would be 12 eggs. Oh, wow. And I just started getting these packages at the hatchery and they'd come in and they'd go back to Kent. You know, you see Kent on our videos. He's at the computer, runs the hatch and back they go. And sometimes, you know, we'd get a really good hatch and sometimes we wouldn't. And so I started going and counting and watching. And this year he comes up to me about a month ago and he has a little box and in it is a chick. And I look at it and I'm like, it's a red cap. And he's like, Gen 2. Oh, it's a baby. It's a baby of my babies. And I'm like, yes. So it's not a huge flock. It's very small. They need a lot of work over time, but yes, there's baby hopes. We That's applaud amazing. you. That is amazing yep. work. You I are goosebumps. That's I know fantastic. you're one strong chicken lady. <laughs> See, this is the thing. We love talking to some strong chicken ladies on this show, and you are one of them. To take that upon yourself and to do that amazing work, 
I love that the hatchery is like, okay. Tom's always like, we don't have barn space. I'm like, we're going to have barn space. So yeah, so there is one pen at, it's at our own barn and that's where they are. And the people that work in the barn and I'm like, they have to live. They need to live. This is a big deal. And it's exciting. They're not the most glamorous breed. They're not going to lay the most glamorous egg, but it's really cool to me. We're going to keep them going. I'm going to put them back in the catalog. What's your favorite thing about them? They're scrappy. I love (laughs) that they're scrappy. You know, when they say chickens are descended from jungle fowl, yeah, they can forage up a craggy hill in England. And I've met with the Derbyshire Red Cap Club in England. Oh, nice. And they're productive over there. They're very good in that environment. They may not be the most beautiful birds in the whole world. They're not going to be a Fayumi or a Phoenix. And they have these really big combs. That, that comb. I have to say, and I said this in the breed spotlight, the comb gives me the willies a little bit, all the bumps on the comb. But we're going to go back to body positivity and chickens. It's That's okay. Right. We're not going to tell him. I didn't say I didn't like it. It just gives me the willies. I think it's spectacular. So how do you manage that in, say, an Iowa winter? I think I would probably do some heavy duty frost protection. We have some 50 below windshield factors. Oh, yeah. And in single combs, you know, like a big Menorca, that's problematic enough. I don't know if you've been to England. It's mild. You know, it's an island. So when they get a couple inches of snow, the whole thing shuts down. (laughs) (laughs) The trains stop working. Everything stops working. I've been over where the headlines have been frozen Britain. And I'm like, this is a dusting. I can do that. <laughs> like, come to Iowa. I'll show you some real snow. I know. And then I bring my family over and they're like, this is the coldest I've ever been in my life. <laughs> you were mentioning that you're going to have your property like Martha Stewart, right? Yeah. Did you know that in the top of every single one of Martha Stewart's chicken coops, she has a sweeter heater installed? Did you know that? She's got some fancy coops. She they does. Are so you could have the red caps with that sweeter heater. Or with a cozy coop heater? I think I would have to do a lot of insulation. In the U.S., I know you have listeners from overseas, but in the U.S., we can go from Alaska and even Minnesota is really, really cold. Yeah. Arizona, which is a hot desert. The bigger the comb, the more Southern you're going to want to be. And if you look at England and where they come from, they're also thriving in Australia. Oh, okay. There's a huge population there and they do very well in those milder temperatures. Mm -hmm. As far as me, yeah, I'd need a a heavily probably insulated coop and a lot of frost protection. I was going to ask, what are the numbers like in England? Are they doing well number wise over there? They seem okay. We met the people. There's an entire club. Every English breed has its own club. Every year there's the National Poultry Show in Telford, which is in the north. It's kind of like nowhere near anything touristy. And I sent my husband, who's a soccer coach. I'm like, go find me out some information about these chickens. (laughs) (laughs) I sent the English soccer coach to the Telford Poultry Show to meet people. And he's met a lot of chicken ladies. Then when I went last Christmas, I was able to meet with them and talk to them and stuff. They're all very small. They're similar to our private breeder population, you Mm -hmm. know, where they will have small flocks, but they are the core of that breed. 
that's where they're from. And so the flocks that they do have will do well there. They just won't do well here in a lot of zones. So like I was saying, we tell people you can keep anything as long as you manage what they need for your zone. Right. You know, if you're going to keep Andalusians and Menorcas in the north, do some extra care when it's winter and those yeah. coldest months yeah. and vice versa. If you're going to have heavily feathered breeds in the south, you're going to need to do some heat management and try and oh, keep yeah. them cool. Some fans. We all, that's a big one. We're lost. We say they all deserve well, fans the in the summer. We're in the mid-Atlantic, so we've got the best of both worlds. We're the best of both right. worlds. So, yeah. So ours yeah. have fans in the summer and, you know, cozy coupeters in the winter. We want to keep them as comfortable as possible. And that's the thing with the chickens. They want to be comfortable also. They want to feel good. Right. So I think there's a lot to choosing a breed based on your region. Yeah. I mean, and there are lots of reasons why. I mean, it's pretty hard to turn down a Cochin or Brahma if they're in front of me, even though I know the summers are hard on them. Same thing with but the they, You know, they're right there great through the winters. But the red cap, it's an English breed. The Rare Breed Survival Trust, they do list them, but I don't think they'd have the categories that the Livestock Conservancy does here. It's not as in-depth as far as what they do there. From what we've seen with the groups that we have, they have their clubs, and then they go and they show at the poultry shows, and they have the Survival Trust, but our Livestock Conservancy is a bigger organization as yeah. or as far as more organized as far as how they're going to count numbers that poultry mm-hmm. census that's a big project that we underwrite for them I was and sponsored the census yeah. this year our owner bud is on the board now of the oh, nice. livestock conservancy they're going to write a book on turkeys that we're supporting as nice. far as that goes yeah there's some fun stuff that we're doing but A really great way to see where those breeds are as far as within our website. I think we have 30 of the 40 rare breeds. It's a huge number. I'd have to recount because the new poultry census just came out, but we have a huge number of the chickens. That's fantastic. And you're partnering with the Livestock Conservancy, which is an excellent organization. You're doing everything that you can to help save these chickens. I love that about McMurray. It's really good work. So I had the best conversation. I have to tell you about that. On Friday, I met Temple Grandin. If you don't know who she is, you should watch the movie about her. I was mesmerized by the movie. And so it was one of my bucket list items to meet her. And I wanted the book about her life. And then she asked me what I did. And I told her, and then she points at this other book and she's like, well, you're going to need this book. I'm like, oh, okay, nice. tell me, I need this book. I'm going to buy this book. <laughs> Is that one fairly new? I thought I had all her books, but I didn't recognize that one. Yeah, it's Animals Make Us Human, Creating the Best Life for Animals. So that's what she's told me that I'm going to read. And okay. when she tells me, I'm going to listen. I had watched her on the Livestock Conservancy website. And she tells people very to the point because it's her personality, what you need to do. And a lot of people will say, how can I help rare breeds? All you have to do is when you're going to place an order for chickens, request one of those too. Pick a rare breed. If you want a bunch of Buff Orpingtons, that's fine. But pick a Fayumi and say, I'm going to give it a try, you know, or pick a Favarol, you know, or something that's on that critical list. 
and help support those efforts because there's people like us and private breeders that are working very hard to perpetuate those flocks. But if you just buy one or two little chickens and because we allow one of anything, you could try any little one interesting breed and that helps support those efforts. Yeah. I love that because we talk about availability all the time. And it's one thing that is like kind of my pet peeve, I think, with making these chickens available so that people can get them to keep them going is part of the solution, which you guys are helping because buying one chicken, it's a start. You can get the rare breed along with something else that you really want and keep that line going. And who knows? Look, it's my customers that liked the red caps that are going to help me preserve them. Yes. Yes. Exactly. A lot of people, when we had avian influenza, they reached out and they said, I have crevicores, I have campines, do you want anything? And I didn't say no. I was like, at this time, I'm going to look at what we have in these eggs. We're going to grow them out. We're going to see these numbers, but look at what we're doing with these red caps. And yeah, it's a customer that's helped. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Genetics are genetics at a certain point when you get that far down the critical list. I yeah. love it that you have the second generation baby. That I'm is so excited. Yeah. That is so great. <laughs> really, really exciting. So yeah, I was like, I'm going to listen to Temple. It was interesting. She said everything she says is usually about cows and, you know, other large animals. Yeah. But she also says everything I've said can be applied to different types of animals. Mm-hmm. So take everything I've said and apply it to the chickens too. And I'm like, I've got my marching orders. I'm going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the one thing that we're always saying is once you get these chickens, you understand them until yeah. you kind of work with them. You don't see the big picture of what they can give you, what you can give them. We say it all the time. You get back what you put in and they're willing to give it back. You know, that's why we want to save them so much and work so hard to save these rare breeds. And you took on the red caps personally and did all the leg work. Second generation baby. I just said it. I know, but I'm still thinking it amazing. Very, very fun project. Now I'm on to the catalog again and the guys have taken on the flock and they're doing what they need to do and they just got to keep going. Hopefully, if not next year, the year after, we'll start having chicks again. That would be so fantastic. Do you think you'll ever have Javas? The model Javas? Yes. We get asked about those. What else do we get asked about? Barn builders? We get asked about those all the time. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, maybe thanks to us, you're going to get extra asks this year because we did get <laughs> barn builders. There was a comment on one of our Facebook posts by a listener that tagged you guys and said, where are the barn? <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Yeah, those all come to me. And then I'll send them to Tom and Bud and the guys and everybody will say, we got to build another barn. You have 10 more breeds you need to get in there. So I know. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, so let's build another barn. <laughs> so we wanted to ask you, you have been doing some fun stuff lately with homesteading festivals. Tell us a little bit about it. You're sponsoring these and... So our listeners, if you're in the Virginia area, the next one is going to be in Virginia. Yeah. So what we found was it was really fun to get out and meet people. Mm -hmm. And everybody wants to talk about their chickens. And that's all we do. We talk about chickens all day long. What better thing to do is go out there and find people and talk about chickens with them. 
And (laughs) so last year we started, we went to Homesteaders of America last year and just met people and talked to them about chickens. Tom's done one and I've done a couple of kids classes, which is hilarious. (laughs) Never goes as planned. We started sponsoring these events and going and never have so much fun sitting around talking to people about their chickens. People show us their pictures of all their babies and learn all about their chickens. And, you know, it's like what I have in the catalog. You know, I know all these names of all these chickens. Well, now I have faces to them too. And Tom, you've met him. He's so much fun. Yes. He's got a great sense of humor. He's great. I'm like, you need to go talk to people. And so he's, he goes and he's there and you can just walk right up to him. You can ask him all your questions. I have a picture of him showing a lady like how they sex chickens. Another lady was like, can I put my chickens outside at night? She's just terrified of it. And he's talking her through the whole thing and telling her what to do. So we talked this weekend for probably 16 hours about chickens. So this last weekend we were at Rory Feek's farm. If you don't know him, he's a country music singer songwriter. Okay. Got to know him through Homesteaders of America. And then he had his own event on his farm. It's in his backyard. It's amazing. Such a great time. We got to meet people from all over the country, actually all over the world. We've made friends with a lot of the speakers and all the people that you see on YouTube that we've seen that are raising sustainable breeds and Mm -hmm. they want sustainable flocks. They're rotating Even if they're raising meat birds, they're raising them on grass, building the land and building their dirt and their pastures. Just fun people. Sounds like a great time. Yeah. I learned about gardening and (laughs) they've all got me into sourdough now, but I've killed mine three times. (laughs) (laughs) I'm better at chickens than I am sourdough. So (laughs) luckily I've got some homesteader friends that are giving me advice. We're going to ask you the most unfair question of all that we ask everyone. What is your favorite breed of chicken? I have a couple, but mine are the foofy ones. I call them the Kardashian hens. You know, like foofy. Ours are foofy too. Don't worry. The Sultan is my absolute favorite chicken. And it's ridiculous. We're going to be spotlighting that one soon. Yes. It has everything. It's got the crest. It's got the feet. It walks like a Muppet. It's all yeah. white. And they're some of the cutest chicks they ever. They are really they're cute. Adorable. They are adorable. They are, though, probably the next most critical. Are like, they? Yeah. So when they're chicks, they are almost like bantam size. And so oh, wow. they're not the strongest chick. And once they're big, they can't be bantams anymore. But, you know, it's like you almost want to ship them with bantams, but then they get mm-hmm. big. But they need some work livability as far as a young age. Once you get them past about a week old, you're doing pretty good. That young age is very critical for them. But they are so glamorous. Oh, they are. We were actually just looking at a whole bunch of pictures of them online, drooling over the pictures. They're just gorgeous. They're gorgeous chickens. They're barely going to lay any eggs. That's okay. They're not going to be a homesteader's choice, but they are beautiful. So I love myself a good Sultan. Nice. That's the first time anybody said Sultan. I know I it like is. That. Too. Any others? The Buttercup. I love the one Buttercup. 
their comb is a crown. So it yeah, is a crown, right? It is a crown. And they have heart-shaped spangles. I mean, they're gorgeous. Yeah, they are their gorgeous. comb is a crown. You know, they got that beautiful eyeliner, you know, yes. when they're baby chicks. Yes. Yeah, they're very styling. You've mentioned Fayumi's a couple times. Are you a fan of the Fayumi? I do love Fayumi's. I love my Fayumi's. When I tell people which baby chicks they've got, the baby chicks are the easiest to find because to me, they look like, you know, when you're little and you have the storybook of Bambi, you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're that burgundy color with yes, the little pots on their back. Yeah. And then they're nothing like that when they grow up. Nothing. No. They're gorgeous little chicks yeah. and then they completely transform into yes. beautiful silver birds. They're yeah, so that's pretty. crazy. They do look totally different mm-hmm. as chicks. Yeah. They're really, really cool. And as adults, they're beautiful. As babies, they're beautiful. Hollies are always getting yelled at, though. (laughs) (laughs) Most of my chickens are super laid back breeds, and they're in with Jersey Giants, Seven Favreaux. So they're in there with all these laid back girls, and they boss everyone around. They're terrible bullies sometimes, and I (laughs) love them. You know, when they walk, though, they have like a, I'm kind of the queen. You know what I mean? They do. They do. It's like almost like a mean girl walk. Yes. One of Holly's always tries to look at me with these huge dark eyes. And Holly's like, don't let her fool you. (laughs) She's always like, come to me. She she has stopped. But during her, probably her first year of life, you would approach her and she would, she loves to run right up to people. She's very friendly, but she doesn't want to be touched. And she would try to pet her (laughs) and she would bite you. She would actually bite. Oh yeah. I mean, not that it does any damage. No, it's just funny. But she looks at you with those eyes like, come hither. They're gorgeous birds. They're just beautiful. I love them. They do boss the others around and they kind of are the mean girls, but they're such pretty mean girls. (laughs) They are. They're stunning. The other ones I love are Favarols, which I know you love Favarols. I have four of them. (laughs) Yes. Yes. We love our Favarols. The thing about Favarols that makes me laugh, I had a male Favarol in my all-male hatch and his name was Gordo. Gordo was not the sharpest tack in the shed. No, I say this all the time. I love the seven Favarols, but there's something a little off. In the marketing, I call it, they're not going to be active foragers. Meaning the families, when all is said and done, they're going to be able to find their own food. Yes. The Favarols are going to maybe need a friend. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Where they are, but they're adorable and they're so cuddly and so lovable. They are. But you'll watch them and you watch the different breeds and some are like, oh, you found food. Okay. And then the others are like, I found food. Yeah. 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 That's definitely. Everyone is unique and quirky and Mm -hmm. you start mixing them up and it makes such a great dynamic. So two of my Sabbath Favorals are the babies we got this year. And then two are adults and they're Angelica and Eliza. And two of the Schuyler sisters from Alexander Hamilton's time. And Angelica, you would never think this, she rules the roost, but she's still kind of like, oh, da, 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 da. but she knows what she wants. <laughs> she rules the roost, but it's Lavender Orpington. So <laughs> <laughs> like she's with an Andalusian or something. Yeah, she walks like the queen, but I think she would still need help finding food. That's for yeah, sure. Yeah, probably. I love how they are, though, with all their puffy everything and their, yes. their extra toe. Yes. They need to be like a TikTok with some really good music behind them. Every oh, time. Yeah. mine are a lot. If yeah. anybody goes on our reels, the fabs yeah. are always on the reels and they're always looking Ooh, the right at the camera. Is when they're in slow-mo because, you know, the, the beard goes one way and just kind of quivers. Yeah. Slow-mo fab rolls, that's the best uh, yeah, definitely. video fodder. 
mine was always like, you know, the guy with the food in his beard. <laughs> Man, yes. adorable. So the others, you know, you had E.T. and Murray and Indigo Montoya and them, and they were all very good at like finding things. And the little Favreau would be like very busy doing what he needed to do. And then he'd look up and the others are like clear down at the other end of the yard. <laughs> and then you'd see this panic and it's, it's like you kind of picture the cartoon character where the feet turn into like a blurry wheel oh, yeah. and zoom off. He would go to catch up because it was panic. I'm not with my friends anymore. So Ginger, we want to say thank you so much for coming on and chatting with us this afternoon. It's been so much fun. I love how much you love the chickens. Yes. And you're there because of your love of chickens and amazing work for the Red Caps. Thanks for having me. It's been Any, so much fun. Anytime. Yeah. We'll talk to you later. All right. Great. Bye-bye. All right. We just want to thank Ginger one more time for spending some time with us, telling us such great stories. We love her. She's mm-hmm. amazing. Okay. Let's move on to cracking the eggs. Cracking those eggs. Super simple, super good. Super simple, super good. And we went with a picnic kind of thing. You can use it for a picnic or you can use it with barbecue or you can use it with whatever. Fresh out of the pan. Cornbread. Cornbread. Love it. I'm telling you, as a kid, I did not like it. But as an adult, it's one of oh. my favorite things. Holy moly. I and love right now, cornbread. it's too many points. Now, this is a sweeter cornbread recipe. It's a treat. It is a treat. You can cut back on some of the sugar, but... Oh, it's so good. As we say in the DiCarlo house, we never cut back on the sugar <laughs> in these recipes. Never, ever, ever. It's also a super easy one to make gluten and dairy-free. It is, because, I mean, cornmeal is your basic thing in here. It's a cup of cornmeal and a cup of all-purpose flour. We just use Bob's Red Mill one-to-one gluten-free. Yep. You can do a cup of cornmeal and probably like a cup of oat flour if you want to. Yeah. Oat flour has that sweet taste to it. Two-thirds of a cup of white sugar. I've made this with half a cup and it's fine. But if you're looking for that, <laughs> we probably do things like your face. <laughs> like in the DiCarlo house, we'd be doing like three quarters of a cup I of white sugar. I thought you were going to say cup of flour, cup of cornmeal, <laughs> cup of sugar. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, that's how we operate here. That's why I'm now in weight loss. <laughs> so, well, yeah. so sugar to taste. Baking powder. It only uses one egg. But that's okay. Hey, that's okay cup of milk. You can use the dairy-free if you can't have it. Right. Dairy-free oat milk is what I use. Yeah. yeah. And then some vegetable oil. It's that simple. Combine it all, put it in the oven. Right. And enjoy. You can do it in one bowl. You can just do all the dry stuff together. Oh, yeah. Pour the wet stuff in, whisk it, good to go. It bakes usually like 20, 25 minutes. It's easy. Making my own cornbread is good. I've done that. But there is a place, Andy Nelson's, you know where I'm talking about. I do. Mm -hmm. That is some of the best cornbread around us. I can't eat it anymore. I know. I had it once in my life and then, yeah. Did you like it? It was good, but I think my own is better. Which really? Is, it's a good place to be. That there is like a treat. Like if mm-hmm. we go there, I'm like, oh my God, the cornbread. Like we just get a side order and bring it home. It's been a very long time. I do remember it being good, but I do like my own better. We went in there and when my sister was getting married, she was considering having them cater her wedding. Oh. Andy Nelson's. Yeah. So. My parents are addicted to Andy Nelson's. Okay. It's a barbecue place in Maryland, which you don't find a lot in Maryland. It's no. not known for its barbecue, and it's an ex-Baltimore cult. Mm-hmm. He went and he traveled and he liked barbecue so much that he has his own recipe. And I mean, he does it upright, like greens and just they're delicious. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. So my parents go there all the time. I know this is off topic, but he's still in there. Uh-huh. He works it every day and they get their picture with them all the time. Oh, that's when they go funny. In, but- 
they're known for their cornbread. Right. We make our own, but to me, I'm like, oh my God, I don't know what they do there. But <laughs> extra special it's cornbread. It's extra sugar. That's what it is. Maybe it is. I need to like triple the sugar of mine. Oh my God. I mean, it's easy. It's good. You can have it with anything. You can it's have it really by itself. It's really good butter and honey. Yeah. Mm. It's an easy recipe. It is. It's almost foolproof, honestly. Thank it has you. a lot of baking powder to make sure it rises. It's yeah, going to rise. You're good. Okay. So now it's about that time that we're going to move into retail therapy retail therapy yeah. yeah the last few weeks we're doing some that are near and dear to us personally favorites of ours yeah both of us are addicted to these and that is chicken tea tail this is one of the collections i don't feel guilty about no because it's completely practical yeah it's definitely practical you're not going to keep them forever if you right. use them right. you use them up you get more mm-hmm. but i always have chicken tea towels on my oven on the front as decorative I always love it when some of the kids will come in the house or their friends and then they're like trying to wipe their hand on them after. No, no. It's like the Italian mom. Like that is not for you to use. My mom growing up, we had a set of towels that no one used. Yes, that's right. They're for company. Yes. You don't use those towels. Those hand towels are there just for the looks. My house is so small that we don't have space to do anything (laughs) like that. But yes, so yeah. So the tea towels that I put out on the oven are clearly for decoration. Yes. And I see anybody going near them. I'm like, no. <laughs> so we just took a gander because we like to do this. Google chicken tea towels. We know some tried and true places that we really like yes. to buy them to begin with. But then we're like, okay, let's just look and see. Again, there's millions. There are tons. Tractor Supply lately has actually had a lot of really cute chicken tea towels. That's been one of my go-tos for chicken tea towels. Mm -hmm. They're a little more pricey to me for Tractor Supply. Mm -hmm. Like two tea towels are 10 bucks. I don't think that's bad. It's not that bad. It's all right. I mean, I like them, so I get them. Honestly, a lot of the tea towels, because I buy tea towels for you and for Michelle for Christmas and birthday gifts and that kind of thing. And so I price a lot of them. And I want to say... Anywhere between 10 and 15 for one towel yes. is not unexpected. That is for handmade, decorative, like... Hand-printed so, usually, yeah, hand-printed. right? And I want to bring up one account that we definitely would send you to for chicken tea towels, yeah. and that is Rebecca Marshall. Right. Rebecca's in the UK. She ships to the US. We both have her alphabet tea towel. Love it. So it's letters of the alphabet in each breed. She won my heart over instantly because there's a nankin on there. Yeah. You don't see nankins on much chicken decorative stuff. And all of her tea towels are from artwork. They're printed from actual artwork that she's that done. That she's done, yeah. So she is near and dear to our heart. She's been on our show before. Mm-hmm. But the alphabet printed tea towel... It's like frameable, basically. Oh, it is. It's gorgeous. It's it is. gorgeous. Mm-hmm. So if you want to go... Artisan mid- quality. Yes. Yeah. Mid-grade would be like if you go to Tractor Supply to pick mm-hmm. up food and you see that there's some right. tea towels in there. You were talking about another tea towel. It's a very cute online shop called Marmalade Mercantile. Okay. They kept popping up in our Instagram feed. Okay. And so they have a couple of chicken designs. The Sassy Hens and Roosters, they're usually printed on flour sack toweling. Yeah. And they're usually about $15 a piece. They have some other country themes, too. They have one that's classic white and red hen and rooster print that I just, I'm in love with. Now, when we went to Williamsburg, Colonial Williamsburg, <laughs> for Christmas, right? we were in a lot of country stores. Yes, and we they were. were. So Holly gave me some pretty chicken tea towels for Christmas. I have no idea who the maker was. I just no, found them. I mean, we just found them. I suppose the lesson there is just look around when you're- Definitely. Yeah, when you're someplace. The other thing, surprisingly, and I'm just going to mention this because it's in my travels. Sometimes if you're at HomeSense, TJ Maxx, Marshalls- Uh-huh. They have some good chicken stuff in there. Yeah. 
some good chicken prints in their tea towels and stuff like that. And sometimes you can find them in there. Now, there's other ones that you're going to go on Etsy. Like Rebecca Marshall's store is on Etsy. Right. There's one that I'm looking at here. It's hand embroidered. Now, if you're looking at like hand embroidered stuff, it's definitely going to cost you a little bit more. But it's on that decorative line. Right. And worth it, you know? Oh, yeah. The other thing that you can get really cool prints, which we didn't mention yet, are the Swedish towels that are paper, and then you wet them and they turn into towels. Oh, the Swedish disc cloth. Yes. They're everywhere. You can um, get those on Chewy. Also on Etsy. Yeah, you can get them on Chewy. We've seen them in a lot of places where we've been around. And I think Andrea had them in a chicken love box one month. Yes. Yes, she did. Um, I've seen some of them that have like Asian prints that were frameable that were just absolutely gorgeous. I never want to use those. That's my problem with those. If you're looking for holiday-specific chicken, there's an Etsy shop called the Timmy Trust. Yes, you gave me one. Yes, the Timmy Trust, a good chunk of the proceeds of their sales go to a different rescue every quarter. And we love that. We do love that. It's really nice. I know that they've supported the Funky Chicken Rescue before. Yes. But one of the things they have are like chicks and chickens with Santa hats on. Yes. Or scarves and mittens. Or maybe there was an ice skating chicken. You gave me one with a chick with a scarf and a hat for Christmas time. Okay. So that guy goes up at Christmas time. Yeah. And the other thing that can happen is when the kids or Joe cooks, mm -hmm. sometimes mishaps happen. Oh, they splash on them? And I'm like, why? Just take it off before you're going to use the oven <laughs> at this point. <laughs> but yes, I am kind of fanatical about my chicken tea towels. Oh, you're allowed to be. I definitely like them and I like to decorate with them. I have a dry sink, multiple dry sinks on each side. They have the spot Little, for yeah, the hand towels. Hang them. Yeah. So I kind of display them there. And like you said, it's a good collection that you can't really feel that bad about because right. they're useful. Exactly. I'm trying to, after three years in my house, pare down again. <laughs> I'm always trying to pare down, but then I'm like, ooh, that one's really cute. <laughs> I, I've really, I've stopped myself with some of the chicken stuff because I also have a book habit. Yeah. And I have a wool habit. Yeah. And so, yeah, I need to make some space. The only the, way I can do that is staying out of thrift stores. Well, I have recently. Me too. I've tried to just concentrate on, you know, working in the garden and that yeah. sort of thing. Some art projects I mean, that don't require me to do anything at else. At some point, if you get so much chicken stuff, you're going to have to rotate it or else you can't enjoy it. Well, I'm already rotating. My yeah. house is not that big. So I have a shelf downstairs with extra chicken things. And to be perfectly honest with you, there's a small group of them that are always around. Yeah. Like they're my favorites. Yeah. The guineas that you gave me. Yes. And then some of my other like pairs of large hands and roosters. And the problem with you and I is we buy the stuff for each other. Yes, we do. So funny story. Joe comes down to our studio, which is still a work in progress that we haven't painted it yet because we don't have time yet. We're <laughs> trying to get the time in to paint it. But it's a chicken dump. I say this in the best way possible. Everywhere you look in our studio, you're going to look at and see a chicken. Oh, yeah. It's all of our chicken stuff that we find combined that everyone gives us. It's everywhere. There's a lot here. of chicken in here. And it makes us happy uh -huh. and it inspires us to work well. So Joe comes down and he's like, oh my God, how many chickens are in the basement? It's a work in progress, Joe. Joe, get down there and paint it. Right? <laughs> so we have to start moving some tea towels down. Yeah, we could. Because we have our oh, coffee yeah. pots down here. And That's everything. true. We need tea towels down here. So yeah, we're going to have to bring some more chicken <laughs> tea towels. So if you have some really cool chicken tea towels that you want to share, put them up on Insta. Or on Facebook. Yeah. Tag us. We'll give you a story. We'll reshare them. And we'd like to see this stuff. We like to see what everybody else has. Absolutely. It interests us. Please send us the pictures. We love it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what should we tell everybody we're going to be talking about next week? Next week, we're doing another fun and interesting heritage breed, the Sultan. Yes, we are. And that chicken is really cool. They're really cute. 
Our main topic, this is a really fun one too. We're going to talk about the whys and what's of combs and waddles. Because everybody needs to know. Right? Our recipe is delicious pickled eggs, another way to preserve your eggs. Yes, it is. And our retail therapy, vintage salt and pepper shakers. Because we're doing a rant of everything we love over the top. So what should we tell everybody to do until next week? Hug your chickens. Every day and kiss them too. Don't forget, we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. If you'd like to see more of us, please follow us on Instagram at Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you'd like to help us grow the podcast, please leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, please visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Thanks for listening.